From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Agencies suspend more contractors than ever, according to new data from the Interagency Suspension and Debarment Committee. The data from 2019 says agencies suspended 722 contractors that year, compared to 480 in 2018. Federal News Network reports the data shows debarments are down from previous years. Tomorrow's the deadline for comments on the General Services Administration's draft request for proposals for its Polaris contract. The draft says the agency reserves the right to make contractors conform to Level 1 certification of the Defense Department's Cybersecurity Maturity Model certification. FedScoop reports GSA says it'll award task orders without prices to allow competition at the task order level. The Internal Revenue Service has its first ever Chief Taxpayer Experience Officer. Ken Corbin will keep his job as Commissioner of the IRS Wage and Investment Division in addition to his new responsibilities. NextGov reports the creation of the office is part of the agency's implementation of the Taxpayer First Act. Schedule F is dead, according to an executive order President Biden signed last Friday. Three other executive orders the president signed affect the federal workforce, too. Tony Reardon is president of the National Treasury Employees Union. Tony, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the program. Are you confident that Schedule F is really dead now, that this is going to go away for the foreseeable future? Well, first of all, uh, of all, Francis, thank you for having me. And uh, with regard to your question about Schedule F, yeah, yeah, you know, actually, um, we're not aware of any employees uh, being moved to Schedule F. In fact, um, the closest was uh, OMB, which apparently had their list approved by OPM, but that's really as far as it um, ever got. President uh, Biden's um, executive order orders agencies to rescind any work done on Schedule F. And I should also add that uh, we are aware of talk in Congress to try to prevent something like Schedule F from uh, ever happening again. Is there an opportunity, given that Congress wants to work on this, and I have heard even from some Republican members uh, that they were not thrilled about the idea of Schedule F against it, is there an opportunity here to bring organizations like you and your colleagues in the, the federal uh, employee representation community and others together to try to figure out what to do next about the, uh, the hiring process and the, the disciplinary process? All of these issues that people have agreed for years could use an update, but nobody could agree on how to do that. Well, um, I would simply say, Francis, that NTEU is always open to uh, discussions um, about those kinds of issues. Um, I think what is abundantly clear and I think very, very important is that um, uh, employee representatives like NTEU have a seat at the table because, um, as you know, um, for example, with uh, NTEU, we, we uh, represent about 150,000 employees. And so getting their views um, on the table and um, having those discussed, I think, is uh, very, very important. I mentioned there were four executive orders that President Biden signed last Friday about the uh, workforce. What do you make of the other three? Well, um, yeah, and I'll just quickly kind of uh, run through those. Um, in terms of the May 2018 executive orders, first thing I will say is that 
Um, President Biden kept his promise. Um, he said he was going to uh, uh, get rid of those, and he did. And, and the bottom line on those um, executive orders, Francis, is that um, agencies are now under orders to go back and follow the law by bargaining in good faith. Um, uh, former President Trump's orders really tilted the scales heavily in favor of management. And uh, President Biden getting rid of these executive orders simply restores uh, balance as the law requires. Now, um, another one that I wanted to mention uh, beyond uh, the May, uh, May 2018 and Schedule F um, is also the executive order that was passed by or that was put in uh, uh, place by uh, President Trump on uh, diversity training. President Biden's decision to revoke um, the ban on diversity training for federal employees, I believe really reflects his commitment to um, attacking systemic racism in our institutions. And I will tell you that NTEU certainly stands ready um, to help in that regard. Now, um, my uh, view also is, and, and I'm sure you know I've, uh, people are aware of this, I've been pretty outspoken about it, um, any professional education program that helps us better understand and respect our coworkers of different races, gender, sexual orientations, gender identities, nationalities, or religious beliefs, I believe is a sign of progress in a civilized society, not a threat to it. And we believe that the uh, federal workplace can and should lead um, in this effort. I want to ch uh, switch gears in the time that we have left, Tony. You, have a, you represent a number of uh, people in different parts of the Department of Homeland Security. Alejandro Mayorkas, the nominee to take over at DHS, talked about fixing the morale problem in his confirmation hearing. What do your members tell you would help morale at DHS? What can you do in working with uh, Secretary Mayorkas if he's confirmed to do that? Well, I will tell you that I, I think um, I can sum up uh, pretty quickly the biggest uh, morale issue at present um, by um, saying uh, uh, three words, vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. This is the overriding concern right now. And I have to tell you, Francis, it is puzzling um, and disappointing, candidly, that DHS did not make um, these frontline employees a priority for getting vaccinated against COVID-19. It is far too difficult for them to get the vaccine um, and uh, DHS and CBP um, need to do something to change that. Now beyond that, oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, I, we just have a minute or so left and, and morale's been a challenge in the units that you represent at DHS for a long time. So it strikes me vaccines certainly would be helpful, certainly would right. be useful, but this is a deeper issue than that, I imagine. Well, um, it, it certainly is. And I will tell you, for example, at uh, CBP, um, you know, one of the biggest issues confronting morale or, or causing morale issues is around uh, the issue of staffing. There is a chronic staffing problem, um, Francis, um, in CBP. Now, I will say um, over the last uh, couple of years, it has gotten better, but it is still a major issue. And so why does that create mor morale problems? Because you often have um, staff that are required to work 
never ending overtime. They are not um, uh, in a situation where they're able to attend their children's sporting events, family events, those kinds of things, because they're required to work overtime. And it um, it has taken a huge, or it has caused a huge problem uh, for these employees. So I think funding and staffing certainly are, are related. And I think those uh, um, in large measure are the cause of a lot of uh, morale problems at uh, CBP. Tony, thanks very much for coming back. It's great to have you back on the program. Thank you very much for having me, Francis. Up next, big money leaves the thrift savings plan straight ahead on Government Matters, how the TSP did in 2020, and what's changing in 21. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Welcome back. The Thrift Savings Plan now has 6.2 million participants. That's more people than ever. Hardship withdrawals are down, but almost 120,000 participants made CARES Act withdrawals last year. Kim Weaver is Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Some big stats there, and a, another number that I saw from you know, the uh, monthly board meeting, $3 billion going out of the TSP. That sounds like a lot until you consider, I guess, how much money you're managing for people, Kim. Yeah, um, as of the end of December, we have $709 billion in the TSP, which are people's hard-earned uh, retirement savings, and we take that super seriously, as you know. What are you seeing overall? Uh, what are some of the other numbers from 2020 that the board had a chance to review this week? Well, what we saw, as you mentioned, was that hardship withdrawals went down, but we believe that that was driven by the fact that people who would have otherwise taken a hardship withdrawal took a CARES Act loan or withdrawal. And a CARES Act loan or withdrawal, it, the CARES Act was passed by Congress back in late March of 2020, and it allowed people to take uh, loans and withdrawals from the TSP and other 401ks that they otherwise wouldn't be eligible for. And, and what's nice about them is if people can afford it, you can repay them. Um, so you're not uh, long-term depleting your retirement savings. And so, as you mentioned, about 122,000 people took withdrawals um, from the TSP under the CARES Act and, um, that totaled roughly $3 billion. You at, you at the TSP track these numbers very, very closely and, and do research to understand why your participants do what you do. Broadly, not related to COVID necessarily, specifically, Kim, what do you do with that information? Is this just useful for you to help understand why people do what they do? Or do you use that data for shaping policy or making recommendations or some other type of work? We do it, um, so we do it so that we're able to um, respond to demand. Like we know that the next four months leading up to tax day is super busy because people start getting their 1099s or their W-2s and they start thinking about their financial situation. So we want to know that information so we can respond to that demand from our participants. But separately, we want to understand what questions people have when they contact us so that we can improve or tweak our educational material. And then to the extent that we can um, change policies, for example, I think the best 
um, example of that is we went forward with legislation to get um, more uh, flexible withdrawal options because our participants were telling us that the withdrawal options we had prior to 2017 just didn't cut it um, in this modern world. Um, most of the agenda items in this month's meeting, um, I, I understood. One I was not familiar with, Record Keeping Services Acquisition, RKSA. What is that and how does it, what does it do for participants? Well, record keeping is what we do, right? It's we keep track of the 6.2 million um, participants and we keep track of how much of that $709 billion is theirs. Um, that's record keeping. And we, in November, awarded a new record keeping contract. And as you might think, when you've got the PII of 6.2 million people, that's not the easiest transition in the world. And so it's going to be about an 18-month uh, process. We're looking to go live in the summer of 2022. And um, we're starting right now in terms of things like knowledge transfer. Our employees and our current record keeper are meeting with the new record keeper. We're anonymizing data so that we can start doing testing. Um, with the new record keeper. So there's an enormous amount of work that goes into it. But what that yields for the participant is they're going to get um, a mobile app, which we know our younger uh, participants would very much like. Uh, we'll have they'll have access to a mutual fund window. Um, they'll be able to get assistance with rolling money into the TSP. So there's a whole bunch of things that will come but there's a lot of work between here and there. So a lot of benefit to, to a participant. It's not just a back office thing that, that the participant will not see the, the benefits of. Right, they won't see, with any luck, they won't see the work in between now and the summer, but next summer of 2022, they will see benefits. Um, we're almost out of time, Kim, but uh, the most important thing that I think the most uh, use, uh, participants care about is how much using the TSP costs them. And uh, you have new data in this meeting about expense ratios for 2020. Right, for 2020, the expense ratio, the net expense ratio was 4.9 basis points, which means 49 cents per thousand. So for every thousand dollars you have invested in the TSP, the administrative expense associated with that is 49 cents. Um, we, as again, as you know, take our um, are charged to do uh, low-cost investing very seriously, and we continue to work on that. Uh, that's up a touch from 2019 was uh, 4.2 basis points and four basis points in 2018. Uh, what do you attribute the, the – it's an increase. I don't want people to freak out because that's ridiculously lower than anything they could get in the private sector, but where do you think that increase is coming from, Kim? It's because we're running, we um, awarded the um, mutual fund, win excuse me, we awarded RKSA. And so we're, we're right now doing a double system. We're paying for two record keepers. Um, and we told our board that that would continue for, for 2021, 2022. And then that expense ratio should start to go back down as our expenses go down. Kim Weaver, thanks very much. Great to have you back. Thanks, Francis. Up next, the top cyber brass coming into the Biden administration. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what to expect from the new leaders in cyber policy. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Krista Russia will be the new federal chief information security officer. President Biden's also named a deputy national security advisor for cyber and emerging technology and a senior cyber director. Ari Schwartz is managing director of cybersecurity services at Venable, former special assistant to the president of the United States and senior director for cybersecurity. Ari, welcome. These are all people that are well known to you, Krista Russia and Newberger and the others. Uh, what What's the message that you take away overall from the names that have been selected so far? I think that they, what we've seen from the administration is they're looking for expertise. They're looking for people that have served um, as civil servants doing cybersecurity um, and are elevating them to, to uh, some of them have gone to the private sector as well and have private sector experience too. So they have a range of experience um, and uh, these are not political picks at all. These are people that really have expertise in cybersecurity. The sign that I took, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong because you're the cyber expert and I'm the TV guy, the, the sign that I take from all of these people is that number one, the president wants to send a message about solar winds and number two, president wants to make sure that everyone across government sees that cybersecurity is going to be a, a priority of his administration. Do you think I'm reading the tea leaves correctly? Well, yeah, I think certainly with the elevation of, uh, uh, of the role at NSC to a deputy position and where you're going to start to see uh, Ann Neuberger interact directly with the deputies and leadership of the, new, of the agencies of the new uh, folks coming in at, at every at every agency, um, Solar Winds is going to be the, taking on Solar Winds of the agency is going to be a key point here. The bringing on a CISO, a federal CISO, so early on in the discussion, I think as well demonstrates that too. The the federal CISO position was interesting because I don't think anybody can argue that Chris has the credentials and the experience and the background necessary to do a good job in that slot. I likened it, though, in a conversation with a, uh, an agency CISO this week to a coach selecting his, uh, his assistant coaches. Normally, one would see the federal CIO and then the, the CISO. We didn't see that this time. Does that matter, really, or is, is that maybe making more of it than really is there? I think because of the situation with Solar Winds and because of Chris's background at OMB, um, that uh, I think you know, as long as they're in the conversation of having the, picking the CIO and and uh, that person has comfort with Chris as well, um, that that even though that person hasn't been named yet, I think you're still in good shape. But certainly, Chris's background um, at OMB, at DHS, as the CISO of uh, uh, the state of Michigan, I think uh, demonstrates that his. Uh, he has the background to do the job. So I think it'd be hard for any CIO coming in to argue with that. Uh, federal CIO is not a cyber job technically, although it's a, a large component of that portfolio. Um, that's still open. What else is still open that we should watch as the uh, Biden administration fills out its cyber team? I mean, the two big jobs, the one is, is the uh, CISA director. So that's the DHS job uh, for the, the uh, cyber and uh, infrastructure security agency, it's now called, um, and that uh, it's the job that Chris Krebs had. So it is a big job uh, for you know cybersecurity and reaching out to critical infrastructure. Um, there are some rumors about that job uh, who's going to be filled. I, we assume that someone will be named as soon as uh, Ali Mayorkas is, a, is confirmed by the Senate as the DHS secretary. And then um, the national cyber director. And that's so the cyber director is a new job um, that was created through the NDAA, through the through the Defense Authorization Act, um, and 
Um, uh, there's some rumors out there as well as who can be named to that job. That might take a little bit longer because it's, again, a new position. And, and we've talked about this before. I mean, that that is going to be a role of up to 75, uh, 75 up to maybe even 100 staff detailed to the White House uh, in an agency that's going to be more similar to um, something like USTR or something like that, the trade job mm -hmm. there. So we're seeing a big cyber. So that's going to be a, a major job, and we'll see. That Senate confirmed as well. And you answered the question that I was going to ask, which is what's the Senate confirmation status? So many of these fly around at various times, I can't keep track of all of them. What, what, do, we, what do you take away, if anything, from the confirmation process so far for those who have been confirmed as to how it might inform potential confirmation uh, process hearings for any of these cyber jobs? I think we're seeing a lot of cyber questions to leadership. So for these cyber jobs where, the, where it's even more central, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, questions about solar winds, a lot of questions about uh, t telecom supply chain, Huawei, ZTE, those kinds of questions. You're going to hear a lot of questions about those issues as being the main topics that uh, the senators are focused on. I'm struck, though, more broadly, though, Ari, about the fact that uh, despite the fact that the margin in the Senate is split right down the middle, uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of pushback on the nominees that uh, President Biden has advanced so far. Secretary Austin confirmed by a wide margin. Secretary Yellen confirmed by a wide margin. And I wonder if you think that might bode well for selections in the cyber area as well. I think in general, well, and as I said, I think the fact that th that he's chosen well, he's chosen people that are hard to argue with uh, because they have that uh, pure background of uh, cybersecurity expertise. They're not, he's not, uh, it, there's no one you could say here that was chosen purely for political reasons. Ari Schwartz, thanks very much. Great to have you back on the program. Thanks. Good to be back. Look forward to next time. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.